What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Gifted Hoops podcast. I just want to say I appreciate you guys. I know it's been like six days plus. Um, I had to rework and remodel the vision of what I'm trying to do with this content creation stuff. I went through, got my act together, got things a bit more organized, cleaning my room. As you can see, the setup on the video version of the podcast is a bit different. I moved some things around to kind of up the quality of what I'm trying to do to make it feel a bit more seamless. So that's what I'm working towards. Uh, before we get into today's episode, I will be having guests on the podcast as well. So if you're interested, feel free to hit me up on Twitter and I'll kind of go through and see the topics that you would like me to cover more on the podcast as we get through the playoffs here. But in today's episode, we got a lot to address. There's been a lot of playoff series that have concluded. A lot of the first round matchups outside of one, I'm pretty sure, are all wrapped up and done. So I will be recapping a bunch of those series that I've missed. And I'm also going to be talking bigger picture for some of the teams that have lost. Because as you know, we're in the playoffs. And this is the stage where the teams that don't win have to make big moves in the offseason to improve. And they have to face the music and evaluate their team and the direction of their roster construction moving forward. And that's a very big thing because that sets up the stage for a crazy offseason that can impact the basketball that we see next season. So I will be getting into those things. But before we do, make sure to like, comment and subscribe again, like spam this up, uh, leave comments. Let me know how I can get better uh, ways I can improve the quality and also let me know your thoughts about this wacky postseason run from all these teams, things you like, things you don't, and your predictions for some of these series. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, so y'all know me. Um, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. Um, I have been following this team for a long time now in terms of when I started watching basketball. Uh, backstory on me, I started watching basketball closest to 2012, 2013. But that was from like a super casual lens. Um, for me personally, I didn't really keep up with basketball fully until 2013. In uh, 2012, I was still playing uh, soccer. I was on a track team. I wasn't really involved in like watching the sport of basketball and super appreciating it. But after 2013, I got a chance to really dive deeper in, into the sport and understand how basketball worked at a casual level and then around 2015 16 17 and all the way through and through i added layers upon layers of my understanding of the game so that was a super long way to tell you i'm a go to state warriors fan and for me personally the effort that this warriors team showed in that game six that was played yesterday was terrible um they did not have any heart i think the kings played a lot better than golden state i think the poise and the championship pedigree that a lot of people applaud and praise this warriors team for they frankly just did not show up for in the game uh steph shot nine for 21 not the best performance from steph in a game where we really needed to take game six but beyond that the entire team as a whole was not that great draymond off the bench in limited minutes was in foul trouble for the majority of the night so that impacted a bunch of our rotations kuminga saw basically another dmp until the end when Kerr gave up on the game and emptied out the benches um and that kind of brings us to the jordan pool thing jordan pool was bad and if we're being honest for the majority of this series he has not been great um after the first two games i feel that jordan pool's intent to attack the basket be a bit more in control and get to the free throw line was better in the two home games that he played but in terms of having a consistent game through and through for the entire series he has not had that and he has been outplayed by malik monk on the sacramento kings so i can say that but in the other breath you have a lot of people especially warriors fans my fan base coming out and blaming jordan pool for the loss as if we don't understand what the true x factors of this series are this is not me accepting jordan Poole's play and making excuses for it this is me being real 
This championship team is applauded and praised based off the backs of Kerr, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. That is the core. Um, obviously, Andrew being the wing that he can be and being as productive as he can be is the piece that helped us get to contention last year. Jordan Poole also helped us win a championship last year as well and other pieces fit in where they fit in but when you talk about experience when you talk about the core that has won championships you're mainly focusing on those three guys and we live and we burn with how productive those three are for our franchise and in yesterday's game none of them had a breakout must win type of performance from any of them from their standards and i think they understand being that they've been in this position many times, that game six was a failure. And if you want to win the series, the effort level that you bring out has to be better than what it was. A championship team cannot show so much poise on the road, a place that people say for the entire year, go to say they struggled at. You can't show that much focus and poise on the road in a critical game five where it looks really good, where it looks like the dynastic warriors are back, they're there and they're on the road and they're conquering their road demons and you win that game in convincing fashion at the end. But then in the very next game, to handle your business in game six, to not have to go to a game seven, to be able to prepare and game plan for the next round, you wanna come out of that game six with effort and you wanna really strike fear in the hearts of the Kings from the first quarter and handle your business from that point on. Instead, you get stomped out. No pun intended, obviously, because of the Draymond stuff. I wasn't trying to do that, but you get stomped out. And that's what happened. Uh, the Kings made their threes. They out-rebounded Golden State. They had more offensive rebounds and they, they had a lot of three-point shots off of their offensive rebounds. And the Warriors turned the ball over 19 times in the game. When you're not shooting well, you're turning the ball over, you're not getting rebounds, the other team is getting to the free throw line more than you, and the other team has more possessions than you do, that is a losing recipe. It just is. I'm not going to lie to you, right? It is a losing recipe. And for a lot of people coming into this series, what they did is they took the name and the body of what Steph, Clay, Draymond, and this Warriors team in terms of a dynasty sense are and they said the kings are a young team so the warriors are going to know what to do and they're going to execute in these moments and they're going to beat the kings in four games they're going to beat the kings in five games and what you saw is while experience is important talent and the way that you're playing now is right there i'm not going to say it's it's all the way equivalent but talent is very very important and the Kings have that. And the Kings have a sense that they're not afraid of Golden State. They're not afraid of who is out there on the other team. So this, this like notion that we're going to come in the series and just walk over a team that has been good and consistent for the entire year, that has a head coach from our staff, Mike Brown, who, who is familiar with how the Warriors play and what they want to get off. And this team that had the best offense all regular season long and played to their level can, can outpace and outspeed Golden State, right? The notion that you're going to walk over them is just not founded. And I personally feel like the way the Warriors came out in game six was them saying, we beat you in game five. We had poise. We don't have to try so hard. You guys are probably going to fall. And they didn't. And they got their ass kicked. And me personally, I love that Golden State got their ass kicked. Did I want to win? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this unserious attitude that you're going to pay towards the Kings, if it winds up costing you a first round series, then it costs you. I am not a Warriors fan that is into the business of making excuses. Because people can say, well, if Andrew Wiggins made the shot in game one, you take game one. If the Warriors had less turnovers in game two, you take game two. If the Warriors played with more intensity, you take game 
six. At a certain point, these excuses where we're saying this team should have did X, Y, or Z. No, it's either you do it or you don't. The championship pedigree that we stay talking about every time it comes down to the Golden State Warriors, guess what that was built upon? The Warriors doing it and us not talking about what they could have done to win hypothetical championships. We don't deal in hypothetical championships. We deal in reality, right? So for me as a Warriors fan, I'm looking at it as I expect the Kings to be good. I expect their best punch to be in that game six down. I expected that, right? And I expect the Warriors team to come out, answer it, survive it, and double down and out-execute the Kings because they've been doing that so far in the series and do that in the game six and handle business. They didn't do that, right? So as a Warriors fan, I'm going to hold that truth. I'm going to evaluate it, and I'm going to say, I still trust this Warriors team to do this in a game seven. But we all understand, especially when it comes down to basketball, game sevens are unpredictable, okay? Game seven can be the, I'm Kevin Herter, I've been bad the entire entire series, but I'm at home in a game seven, I'm dropping 35. Like, like some crazy stuff that we're not picturing, right, can happen. And when you don't handle business in game six, whatever happens in game seven, if it's phantom calls, if it's foul trouble for for Steph, if, if Steph has 50 points, 45 points, if we win by 20, if we lose by 20, whatever happens, the, the window for that to happen, right, that takes place because the Warriors did not play to their level consistently when they needed to. So we're now in a position where it's win or go home. And after the game, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson were in the locker room together, silent, sitting by each other, understanding the responsibilities those three in particular have when it comes down to being the core trio that has been the core through all of these championships. They understand more than anybody else what it takes to get it done at the highest level. They understand the sacrifices that you have to make if you want to win a championship. So in game seven, I expect to see that poise. But the Kings are not going to go down. The Kings are going to fight. Malik Monk, he's been out playing Jordan Poole the entire series. Coming off the bench, giving you 25 plus on certain nights, gets to the free throw line consistently, playmaking off of the dribble drive consistently. He has been a productive marvel. And him and Fox have been the main guys beating Golden State defenders off the dribble and getting the Kings quality shots that they quite frankly have just missed in certain games. But that goes both ways. Golden State hasn't shot the ball effectively like we know them to do outside of one game. So in this game seven, you hope that their game travels. You hope that they, they understand the attention to detail. And in my opinion, I think you have to go back to Draymond starting. And I say that because in the game that they lost, what I saw was turnovers, right? 8-0 run by the Kings. And the Warriors are getting out-rebounded in that stretch. And Poole wasn't giving you much. Now, here's my thing. I think it's incredibly corny to put all of the loss on Jordan Poole when the core did not perform the way they needed to, when the team as a whole did not perform as they needed to, when if you go down the box score, just even from a stat perspective, the entire team had flaws and got outplayed. But at a certain point, you do need Jordan Poole to step up and be the guy that they signed to this $140 million extension. But he's young. He's not going to be consistent. I don't, I don't expect Jordan Poole to be perfect every single game. But I do expect the veterans to play to their level against competition, to not make boneheaded decisions with the basketball. I expect Steph Curry to not come out here 
and have five turnovers in a must-win game, right? That's what we expect. But ultimately, basketball is going to be basketball. The better team is going to win in this game seven. But for me personally, I'm not soft, okay? I'm very privileged, and I'm not going to cry about Golden State losing game six. Because the truth is, I support a franchise. I support a team that has won multiple championships. A lot of people are preying on this team's downfall because some of those people have been on the receiving end of Golden State winning titles. So no one's going to feel bad or sad for Warriors fans if we lose, right? It's up to us to show that we can still be that team and win and then move on to the second round against a Lakers team and win that as well. Or go home. It's just that simple. So I'm expecting to see better adjustments from Kerr. I think Draymond needs to go back to starting. I think this has to be a high-minute Steph Curry game. All this, like, pulling him every now and then. Like, the minus when Steph is off the floor is so negative that it's untenable. Steph's going to have to play 40-plus minutes. It's going to have to be a thing that happens in this game. You're going to have to see more pick and roll, but you also don't want to abandon all of the offensive components. But when Steph is dominating the game and he's being him, it bends the defense so critically that we're then able to take advantage of four on fives and get to what we want to get to. And ultimately, if the Warriors are not turning the ball over, you're not yielding Sacramento easy fast break points for them to extend the lead and build up on you in a game seven where every bucket is going to have the Kings fans yelling and going crazy at the top of their lungs. You're not going to get to that point if you handle business. So it comes down to the execution and intensity that this Golden State team comes out with in the first quarter. It's no different from what I said in game five. It's no different from what I've been saying for the entire series long. And the team that gets more of the second chance points, the team that controls or influences more of the offensive rebounds, the team that is in control of the turnovers more, is probably going to win the game. So those are my overall insights on that series, on that game that takes place today, because I will be dropping this uh, podcast uh, for... I can't do math. Whenever the game drops, I'm going to be dropping this podcast. So I expect them tonight to handle business. Okay. But that's enough of that series. I want to move on to a team that handled their business, that did what they were supposed to do in a game six, that gave Dylan Brooks what he asked for, a 40-point defeat to the Memphis Grizzlies. The Los Angeles Lakers had a very turbulent season. They had Westbrook on their roster. The coaching situation was untenable in certain spots. A lot of small guard lineups, a lot of bad Patrick Beverly minutes, a lot of Westbrook being terrible. The energy around the team was just toxic and negative every single day. And by the way, that's not me putting that on Westbrook. I'm not weird, but I'm talking about the bright lights of LA and how that fan base can be and what their expectations are parallel to what the roster was and the energy and the vibes behind the locker room. The fact that people were calling Russ a vampire, this guy who was like a, right? Like, I I don't want to dive too deep into that situation, but it was just tough for this team in many different spots. I feel like the energy from last season was we do not like the Russell Westbrook experiment. And instead of trading him, they basically like, told him we don't want you on the team they tried to trade him a long time before this it didn't go through so he's been on the team festering with this sense that they don't have faith in me they don't have my back but we're past all that they trade russell westbrook they retool they make a great trade to get vanderbilt beasley d and they just add more depth to a lakers team that is now clicking on all cylinders since the trade deadline they've been one of the better teams in the league i'm pretty sure they've had a top two defense top top three defense or whatever it's been since that point and the lakers have played with a lot of poise 
Now, have they still made mistakes in certain stretches? Yes. Has Darvin Ham still done some terrorist-like things with the lineup at some points? Yes. But the team as a whole is better. They have more depth. They're playing at all cylinders. And I got to give credit because they handled Memphis in six games. Okay? They, they, they came out there. They handled their business. And I understand people are going to say, oh, well, Memphis didn't have so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But those same people saying that picked Memphis to beat the Lakers in six, to beat the Lakers in five, because they were expecting the Lakers to crap all over themselves, not have the execution and not win. So you got to give credit where it's due. The Lakers won that. It is what it is. They handled their business. Again, they beat the Grizzlies by 40 something points. And now for this Grizzlies team, you have to have a look in the mirror. You have to evaluate what your reality is moving forward. Dylan Brooks played some truly disgusting basketball for a lot of this season. As a Warriors fan, I saw what he did against my team in the playoffs in critical games. Shot him out of games. I'll be real with you. Shot him out of games. I wanted Zaire to play over him from a basketball sense because I thought he had moments where he looked better last year, but straight up shot him out of games. Then you come into a series like this with a 45 or 47% true shooting, just terrible, abysmal. They're not really respecting his shot. They're clogging the paint. They're blocking shots off the backboard. The Lakers just look like a clinic, man. They just did. And the two games Memphis did win were at home. They couldn't win against this L.A. team on the road. And L.A. was ultimately able to steal one game in their crib. And they lost. And I understand, like, the the jaw hand stuff is there, too. But even as you got further and further into the series, the critical flaws of Memphis popped up. The lack of consistent spacing. The big situation. The half-court offense when Bane doesn't have it going or Ja does. Or when Ja doesn't have it going and jjj's foul trouble how that popped itself up after the two games how jjj as an offensive threat drastically calmed down after the first two games they fell apart and for this grizzlies team they've done a great job in terms of drafting great young talent developing said talent having roster flexibility signing jaren to an absolute steal thievery of a deal extending Ja Morant having Bane under contract right now for nine million they've done excellent things but when you accomplish the number two seed and you're winning all of these games and the majority of of people still don't view you as a true two seed or this or that at a certain point you're gonna have to shake things up and make a splash this is a team that tried to get OG and Anobi a team that tried to get a Mikael Bridges. Can you imagine if you just replaced Dylan Brooks with one of those guys? They'd be a, a great team, right? But for Memphis, they're a young team. So I expect them to take time to develop, to make some marginal moves, but put themselves in a situation where, hey, we can go get this guy or this star maybe a season or two from now. But I think for them, a lot of it has to be an internal reflection on the leadership in the locker room. The Ja Moran stuff this year was a distraction. And credit to Ja because he held himself accountable. He understands as a leader, he has to be much better. And to his credit, before that point, Ja was an outstanding leader for that young team. The guys respect him, all of that. But the next step for this team is the maturity and the natural maturation process that you get from going through those failures in the playoffs, from 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 being in these high level situations, you build up that experience, that 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 big experience trump card that we talk about a lot, that makes teams differ from a good team to a great team. They get a chance to feel more of that. So to me, if I'm Memphis, I'm trying to make a splash. I'm trying to get another wing shot creator. I really think that's what this team needs. Another guy who can play defense but also put the ball in the basket, shoot the three, space the floor, and just be a valid 
piece to add a Harrison Barnes type of guy like something like that obviously at a higher level if possible if you have to give up young assets and draft capital to get it I think you do it try to make it fit right try to get OG try to get some of these things to your team that will just make your team better but for them I still think they're on a long track I don't think people have to overreact they're super duper young they're going to be the future of the league it's a matter of building that out the right way, adding veteran presences to keep the locker room solid and stable from a foundation to build on as they grow, as they get better, as they really work out their game to the best of what it can be is critical. And I think that those first steps are going to be happening for them in this offseason. So shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies. But the Lakers, man, got to be honest. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I did not think the Lakers were going to find a trade that was going to be so good that it, it turns them from this, this, this trash meddling team that they were to a team that can actually compete and contend for a title. And people said, whoever they played, whoever they played, all this and all that. But the continuity is growing. Um, and that's a good thing, right? I do think that's a great thing. I still have questions on what happens when they play a team that has a much better offense than Memphis. How do they respond? Are they going to get these contributions from these role players consistently that they got? Is LeBron James going to be able to hop into takeover mode for more games in a series than he did versus Memphis? Is Anthony Davis going to consistently be dominant offensively? Because even throughout the Memphis series, he wasn't. But he was so good defensively, it didn't matter. Those are the questions, but they put themselves in a situation where guess what? A lot of the teams in the West have question marks. Denver should be the favorites to come out of the conference and probably win a title. They have questions. The Suns, if you watch the Suns Clippers series, and we're going to get to that very, very soon. I got a lot to say about that series. If you watch that series, a lot of questions, a lot of things going on for that team. The Warriors. A team that, at its best, looks like a contender. You can't beat them. You can't fuck with them. They're, they're really good and strong. And other times, they look like a varsity team that turns the ball over and doesn't know how to hoop. Kings, great. Young, fun team. They run a lot. They, they shoot threes. They rebound. They play hard. They're not afraid of you. All this and all that. Sabonis so is food defensively. He, he's shown so far, at least from a go to state sense, that he can be nullified in game plan for and lessened. Fox is technically injured, so the pain of that might carry on if they get past the Warriors in a game seven. What happens, right? There, there's a bunch of questions for a lot of these teams. So it's no different from the Lakers, but to put yourself in a position where you're guaranteed second round, and if you make it out that second round, the growth of what you were as a team to go from the play-in to the conference finals, you're in a position where you can contend and go to the finals. It's possible. So I'm not going to be a hater. I'm not going to rule it out because they're playing good basketball. And at the end of the day, we got to move past this agenda bullshit that we be doing in these basketball conversations, bro. We got to actually use our minds, watch the games, and appreciate good basketball where you see good basketball. And right now the Lakers blew... The Grizzlies out by 40 points and they handle business. Dylan Brooks, I don't know if you're coming back. I don't know. But those are my takes on the Laker Grizzly series. I do want to take us to a couple of the bigger playoff series that happened while I was gone. Again, taking care of business. But quickly, quick little ad read. Come rock with me. All right? I'm not being sponsored. I don't got no people plugging me i don't got promotions but i'm going to grow this platform i'm going to grow this podcast into something so if you're listening still if you're this far into the podcast pull out your phone right hop on a youtube follow me on twitter right like this download this whole episode comment tell me what take i had that was trash what was good interact right let's let's help our community grow. I'm trying to build a, a community for like hoops and like organic fun talks, not like this this carbon copy paste 
who's better than who shit. Like, let's actually talk basketball, right? So, again, I appreciate that. But getting back into the rest of these series here, let's talk about the Bucks, man. The Milwaukee Bucks, they they absolutely fumbled. Um, they lost in five games to the Heat, led by Jimmy Butler, who averaged 37 a game, 6-6, six and six, I think, on like 67 true shooting. He was just the best player on the floor by far every game. Even when Giannis played, didn't matter. He was better. By a lot, too. Better. Just was better. And I got to say this. We got to keep things a 1,000. A 1,000. I messed up this year because I didn't make enough of an emphasis to tell people my thoughts on these teams on YouTube. If you know me on Twitter, you've, you've heard my takes on, on a lot of these teams. I was high on the Kings early on. The Miami Heat, I can't say that this year. I can't. I looked at their roster. I didn't see much of an improvement. I wasn't sure if they would be able to get out the plan. I actually had them in the plan. It happened. They made it out. Great. But after how they looked to the Hawks in the plan, where Bam was getting cooked by Clint Capella, and Sadiq Bay in certain spots. I was not sure of the Miami Heat. Heat fans themselves will tell you before any basketball was played in the first round, they would have rather been in the lottery than in the playoffs for a lot of the Heat fans that I've talked to, that I've spoken to, that I've interacted with. But despite all that, they get into the series. Giannis goes down game one. The Heat still game one. Cool. Back bruise on Giannis. Cool, right? Fine. Game two. No Giannis. You want to know what the Bucs do? They put up 81 points in the first half. A lot to a little for the Bucs compared to the Heat. Role players stepping up. Bucks players hitting threes. I know what you're going to say. Gifted, it don't matter. That's fake. You know that's fake. If you've been watching the Bucs every playoffs, they typically have one crazy game like that, but the rest of it is some shit. I get that. I get that. But that does not take away from that game being an example of the roster that the Bucs have. At their best, they were the one seed. They were arguably the best team in the conference, in the league, right? They were a lot of people's picks to go to the finals and win a championship this year. And they played to that level in the game two. Game three, Jimmy Butler, not playing around. Not playing around. Clean them up. 56-point performance. Excellent on both ends. Insane shot making. D down, down one, hits a hits a pull-up three. Gutsy shot. Takes the game. Takes the game, right? The next game. The very next game. Giannis is, is back. Triple-double. Jimmy Butler, 56. Handle... Handles business. I'm sorry. I mixed up the games, by the way. The first game, the Heat shot well from three. Butler had a great game. Cool. But the point is, game four, 56 points. Handles business. Insane play. You want to know what the narrative was on this app in game five, bro? The narrative is that the Bucks are going home. And they're going to come back from down 3-1. You want to know why? Because they have the best player in the league. The undisputed Best in the world, Giannis. From a lot of people, that's what it was, right? Like, anytime you would dive into, like, the arguments of, like, why is he over this player, X, Y, or Z, it's because at his best, he, he could be dominant on defense. He can give you 30 points per game offensively. He can put pressure on the defense, get to the free throw line, play make, all those qualities as an all-around player made him the best in the world. Fine. That was a logic. Cool. Whatever. And people still stand on that, and I have no issue with that. But Jimmy Butler did all of these things at a higher level than Giannis when they were on the floor. He just did. He took over the games. He was an on-ball creator. He was getting to his jump shot. He was getting to the free throw line and knocking it down. Giannis, we're going to get to you in a minute on that. Jimmy Butler did all those things, and they won game four. So with this mindset of who Giannis was, who that Bucks team was to a lot of people, game five was a game they were supposed to win. You want to know what my take was? 
Before the series, I said Bucks in five. Ain't no reason to lie to you. I saw how the Heat played in the play-in. I did not think they had enough and they would be good enough to compete with a fully healthy Bucks team. Giannis misses two games, whoop-de-doo, whatever. When Giannis came back, after Jimmy Butler took that game, I said, this game five, they're going to win the game five. I think Butler is going to have another great performance because that game on the road at home for the Bucks, guess who the pressure is on a lot more? It's not on Miami yet. No, 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 no. It's not on Miami yet. If it gets to Miami, then Miami feels the pressure more, right? Cool. You know who the pressure is? On the number one seed in all of basketball, who's down 3-1 and has to win a pivotal game five at home to even get to a game six to then bring it back home for a game seven. They got to win that game. And I said coming in, everyone is saying Jimmy Butler is not going to do this again on the road. I bet you Jimmy Butler is saying, screw all that. Let's win tonight. Let's take it now. Let's empty the tank now so we don't have to go to a game six and leave it up for chance so we don't let the energy shift and the funny part is the way that bucks crowd was reacting to how the heat were playing they were petrified terrified wasn't that loud and terrified the heat controlled the pace for a lot of the game even when they were down it felt like the heat were never out of it jimmy butler talking shit to drew holiday who people routinely say on this application of twitter is the best perimeter defender in the league and is the most underrated player. Now listen, I love you Holiday. That's my dog. I love you Holiday. But what he does offensively is very terrorist like. I'm sorry. Volume shooting and not making a lot of the shots, but because he makes the big fall away shot game 7 versus the Nets, we ignore it. Because of his perimeter defense on Booker in the biggest moments, we ignore it. And I value that because defense matters. It takes a lot out of his legs. I get that. But he still did not produce at that level offensively when they needed him to in the series. And I said personally, Chris Middleton did not look like himself for most of the year. And I didn't trust him to just hit that switch and have these monster Chris Middleton games that they need. And a lot of times when they closed out games, it didn't feel like Chris Middleton Giannis closed. It felt like random things were happening every night when they closed out games. I didn't trust it. And what did we see? We saw Spolster have a great adjustment. Bam, took the ball, ran a point. He used Butler more off the ball. It threw a wrench in everything the Bucks wanted to do. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to deal with it. And on the other end, what kept happening, and it was so nasty, y'all, this game was rigged. All right? I typically don't say that. I don't like to bring up calls. I, I hate it. I think it's a terrible way to, to like straw man and get your way out of the reality of what it is for certain teams. I hate that type of stuff. But I got to be honest. In my opinion, that game was rigged because the amount of free throws and, and, and calls that were taking place like all in that game, it felt heavily slanted towards Milwaukee. But the Heat would not be denied. They kept generating quality looks. Shout out to Gabe Vincent. They was knocking him down. Kevin Love, knocking him down. Kyle Lowry, good defense, hitting some big shots. They were doing that. Without a Tyler Hero who broke his hand in the series, which is another piece of context. No Tyler Hero doing all of this. On the last play, Spolstra sits Bam down, but sits Brooke down, and it opens up the avenue for Butler to get that tip layup. Now, did he push off? Yes. It's playoff basketball. Don't be soft. How about with two seconds left, you don't allow them to get an easy scoop layup? How about that? It goes to OT, right? And the way Butler just takes over OT with the rest of that team, the Bucks looked scared. Giannis, 10 for 23 from the free throw line. 13 missed free throws. If he makes the free throws, he has a 50-point game. And we're talking about it in a different light. And they're going to game six. And they win. But it got to the point where they win a jump ball. Giannis is throwing the ball away. I don't want to shoot the free throws. I don't want to shoot them. I'm scared. I don't want to shoot them. That's what he did. And I love Giannis, right? I had Giannis as the best player before last year. 
Because I think how he played versus the Suns in a two-way performance and, and how dominant he was and how he made the free throws when he needed to and how he was still that guy on a team that was largely inconsistent without his presence was sensational. And I thought he absolutely deserved to have the belt and be in those talks. I say coming into this season, the best player in the league is between Steph, Giannis, and Jokic. Those are my three guys. I don't care about nobody else. Those are the three. And it still is those three, right? I just had Steph as the champion because, let's face it, Giannis playing that Boston team struggled. I know there was no Chris Middleton. I get that. But the efficiency, the flaws, and all of that showed his head. And then on the other end, when Steph played that same Celtics team, he dominated. All-time series, on his back, historic game four performance. They took that game. They won. Game three, we got beat badly by the Celtics. A lot of people counted us out to win that series we still won that effort and the impact that Steph brings to the game he's in that conversation I'm putting him one I'm not doing this thing where yeah this guy's in the conversation I'll put him three Steph is one for me that's how I feel and I hold him to that standard just like I will hold a Giannis to that standard Giannis got outplayed by Jimmy Butler the flaws in his game not knowing what to get to trying to initiate a, a, a offense by running from the three-point line and dunking didn't work got walled up by bam bam played hella defense terrific defense and i give bam a lot of shit sometimes because his offense looks disgusting and unbearable sometimes but the effort that bam took in lock it down Giannis, you gotta respect it because that was a big part of what also helped him win that game Giannis was shook and that cost him the game and jimmy Butler took the series as the best player in the series that featured Giannis Antetokounmpo and it wasn't close. Shout out to the Heat. Heat fans, shout out to y'all. Tony, if you're listening, I know you're not. Shout out to you. I appreciate you, Tony. But yeah, now the Heat play the Knicks. That's right, the Knicks. The Knicks who beat the Cavs. And I gotta say this, all right? I made my video on the Cavs. I've had live streams on the YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, get the next blade. I've had videos on this stuff. I, I said the Cavs was nice. The Cavs were a team that made it far, right? This Cavaliers team made it to a top five seed. Respect to the Cavs, for real. I mean that. Big big time for them. But they just got outworked, outcoached, outplayed, outtalented, out-everythinged by losing in five to the Knicks. The Knicks overall had the better team. Donovan Mitchell really stunk. He was not that good in the series overall. Jalen Brunson outplayed him, which is really funny how life works because the Knicks tried trading for Donovan Mitchell. They get beat out by Cleveland. And the guy you sign instead of Donovan Mitchell outplays Donovan Mitchell. And the team that beats you out for Donovan Mitchell, you beat in five games. Poetic justice for the Knicks. And I got to say this. A lot of people give the Knicks shit, right? And I can understand it. I can vibe with it. I can understand because the arrogance of Knicks fans, even when they're not good, is there. I get it. But objectively, they got a squad. And they played to it. They beat them. And they now have a chance to advance to the conference finals. Okay? You got to respect that. For a Heat-Knicks matchup, it's going to be grinded out basketball. The old school rivalries might really show itself a lot more. Tom Thibodeau versus Spolstra. Spolstra's the better coach. Jimmy Butler versus Jalen Brunson. Butler's the better player. But the team, the Knicks are our better team. The Knicks have more depth, better players who come in and are able to really execute on both ends of the floor. The Heat, I don't think, have the depth to keep up. But they have Jimmy Butler. And another thing that people are not talking about enough, if Julius Randle is not present in this series... This Jalen Brunson bully ball stuff that, that Cavs had to let slide because they didn't really have no wing and they had two smaller guards. Butler can guard Brunson. Butler can get that primary assignment and make Brunson's life a living hell on the offensive end. He just can do that. And on the other end, Thibodeau is not going to be like Coach Bud. He's going to make adjustments. He's going to make changes. He's going he's gonna to make switches. And he's going to make the effort plays necessary and he's not going to let Butler try to kill them. But then that 
comes down to the player who I think is the most important in this entire series, Bam Adebayo. Gotta bring Mitchell Robinson out of the paint more. Has to be initiating the offense with the ball in his hands, using Jimmy in screen activities, being aggressive with his shots. It's a lot to ask of a player that's hurt, but they need Bam to have a star-like series defensively if they want to win this series. I think the Heat can win. Right? I could give you a take, a pick, right? My head leans Knicks because I just think they're the better roster. But I think Jimmy Butler is truly the difference maker in a series like this. I think it's a six or seven game series. I lean six. I don't have an official prediction. I want to see how the games go, but I am leaning heat. I don't have it like dead set yet, but I am leaning heat. Okay? Go Butler. I'm rooting for him. I ain't gonna lie to you. But... That's going to be a great series when that takes place. We now got to get to the other series in the conference, which wasn't as great. Shout out to the Hawks. They fought, I guess. But really, Boston just stopped caring about basketball. Um, shout out to Kiana and Mish on Twitter. Those are my Celtics fans, peoples. They have said it all season. The Celtics team does not always play with the poise and the integrity that Celtics fans hold them to. They play with their food a lot. If they deem the matchup to be unbalanced and a matchup that they are better at, they take it for granted. And, and you saw in the Hawks series, the Hawks were able to give them a run for their money, in my opinion, because Boston played down to their level of competition. I'll be real with you. Shout out to Trey Young. He played better in the last three games. He was able to steal two, especially one without DeJounte. That was great. But to me, it was more bad Celtics than good Hawks. I'll just be honest. But... Shout out to Quinn Snyder. He showed himself to be a more competent coach than what they already had. And you hope for the Atlanta Hawks, they're able to build off of this momentum. Maybe you finally trade John Collins. Holy shit. He was bad the entire year for the most part. And you figure out something to make your roster better. But for, for the Celtics, we all know what this comes down to, man. Celtics versus Sixers, seven game series. Who wins? Well, guess what? Another thing that irritated me the most, and I wish I was doing this podcast in the middle of these talks about Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's a great player, but he cannot play two entire rounds of postseason basketball healthy without missing games. And it's looking like the LCL sprain that he has is a bit more severe, and he's questionable for games one and two of the series. There's a good chance he might miss both games one and two of a Celtics Philadelphia series. And ultimately, if Joel Embiid is not healthy, what are we talking about? If he's not on the court playing, the Celtics are the better team. The Celtics play down to their competition. So I think the Sixers can split because Boston is an unserious team when the other team is not fully healthy. It just is what it is. But the Celtics are the better team. I mean, they have more guard defenders. They have the wings in Brown and Tatum. Rob Will is coming along. Al Horford is going to be solid. It's just a lot more flexibility. I, I, I don't know if they have the better co coach. I want to say they do. I don't like the timeout stuff that I see from their head coach from time to time. But that's like a six-game series. Um, With me not knowing Joel Embiid's status, I think what's going to happen is he's going to miss some time. He's going to come out. He's going to have a monster game. He's going to have another game where he gets absolutely nullified by Boston. He's going to have another good game and they're going home. That's what it is. And I feel that way because his status is in question. And I'm tired of, of banking on the 76ers when they have statuses in question. James Harden did not look phenomenal in the first round versus a Nets team. He got to the basket, could not convert. Does he turn it on more? Versus Boston, I think especially with Embiid out, you have to see a aggressive Harden. I think the roadmap to actually beating that team is Harden being aggressive even with Embiid on the on the floor. But they have a lot of things to show us. I think Maxi has stepped up big. I think Tobias was pretty solid in their first round. But you're gonna need all these guys to play at their optimal level if you're gonna beat Boston. But I think they can. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. But if Joel Embiid is not 100%. I don't have that team winning. I just don't. So I'm going Celtics. I'm going to go Celtics in six. 
That's my official prediction. But I am hoping the Sixers make this a seven-game series. I think they have the talent. I think they just, ha they just have to put it together. But ultimately, I got the Celtics. And with all those series done, we now transition to the Denver Nuggets. I just want to say shout-out to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, Y'all fought. A lot of your team was injured coming into the Denver matchup. You didn't get swept. Congratulations. Okay. Anthony Edwards, I also got to be real with this. I'm a cat guy. A lot of people, they don't like cat. They do this real corny shit with cat. I don't really like it. I think cat's a really good player, but he has flaws. He played terribly for a lot of the games in the playoffs this year. Anthony Edwards straight up looked better in more games this time than cat and cat was in a lot of foul trouble okay i still think cat is a great player i think anthony edwards is, is going to be their guy moving forward i still think cat in terms of his production is still at that same level with ant but he just makes idiotic decisions at times and his greatness just isn't consistent i think for cat he has to have a hard look in the mirror and evaluate him not being able to create advantages on people shorter than him consistently. He has to be better and more aggressive because the skill set is there. In the playing game, you saw it. He was sensational against a Laker defense in the first half. Fell apart. Anthony Edwards, no show that entire game. Like, the variances are different. But with Anthony Edwards in the playoffs against the Nuggets, he played hard. He made big shots. He had leadership. He held himself accountable on the areas he wanted to get better at. And I think that the future of the Timberwolves is still bright because they still have Anthony Edwards. They still have Jalen McDaniels. I'm assuming that they're going to try to extend and keep the asset of Nas Reed, who was also good. They still have Kyle Anderson. Um, Gobert talked about improving his offensive game. I guess we'll see how that looks. I don't know about that, but it's hard to evaluate their full season when Cat missed so many games and that dr dramatically impacted their seeding. And it put them in a position where they had to play the Nuggets. And they did not have a lot of reps of Cat and Gobert playing together and figuring things out. I'm not a guy that just plugs everything in 2K and says trade Cat, trade Gobert. You have to give it one legit season where the entire offseason you have a body of work to look at. You play around with lineups and rotations. You get guys coming in playing hard and you give it another year to see where you're at. But down the line, you might have to trade one of those two. So we'll see what happens. But that was a lot of time on, on the T-Wolves. I will be having a, a video where I address my initial take on that team coming out on the YouTube channel, Gifted Explay, tap in. But let's get to the Denver Nuggets here. So for Denver, they've been handling business, man. Um, Jamal has been a spectacular playoff performer. Jokic has been great. Um, hasn't had to do much. From a scoring perspective, he's just been very productive. Michael Porter Jr., microwave, big-time baskets that he made all throughout that series. But now that transitions to the team they're going to be playing, the Phoenix Suns. And going into that series, let me tell you something, man. Y'all going to call me a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm not doing the, the thing where I'm a Golden State fan, and because of that, I hate on KD. I'm going to just keep it real with you. The Suns, if the Clippers were healthy, are probably beaten in five or six games. And I say that confidently based on the amount of minutes that KD, Booker, CP, and Aiden had to play to beat a depleted Clippers team that only got Kawhi for two games, which by the way, Kawhi was the best player on the floor in the two games that he played without Paul George, right? Even Russell Westbrook had games where he was a top three player in the series. He was that good. The Suns, the way they closed it out even in game five, they're up 18 points. They blow the lead in two minutes. It's a close game. Clippers just don't have enough. They lose. Fine. Suns win. The issue that they're going to find in the series is things are going to be a lot harder seeing that now you're playing a team that has more depth, has more consistent role players in their role, has a number one player from a matchup standpoint to where if you double him, he's going to be able to create a lot of advantages that tears apart your defense. And they have a guard 
who can score from all three levels, get to the basket, shoot the three, and works well off of Jokic. So this is really a pick em type of series. What the Suns have going for them is we have Devin Booker, who has been like the second best playoff performer overall so far based on his level of play. And you have Kevin Durant. And you just hope that like that level of elite shot making with timely passes and baskets from Chris Paul with the occasional drop off from Aiden on the bent defense can carry them. But Monty Williams trolled a lot in a series against the Clippers that should not have looked as close as it was. And while I don't think Malone is like this elite, 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 elite coach, coach, as in like a, a top two coach or whatever, I do think he's a better coach than Monty Williams. And I do believe that if they have the better player, which I think they have the best player in this series in Jokic, they have a nice three-level guard that can imitate some of the things Booker does, even though I do think Booker's the better player. And they have the better depth and they have more consistent spacing. I think Denver should dog walk them. I do. But based on Booker's level of play and having Kevin Durant, I, I do believe that that goes six games. Jokic is going to get stressed out a lot defensively. They're going to put him in actions a lot, and it's going to be a lot of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, mid-range, baskets, tough shots. Booker is going to have to find a way to pressure the rim, but now he's going to have better defenders on him to guard him and put him in more spots to where it might not be as easy to get to the basket. And then you're asking Kevin Durant and DeAndre Aiden to apply more rim pressure, and Aiden has to be used more as a spark plug in their offense. And I don't know how much I trust a team that has not played that many games. Um, a player in Chris Paul that has only attempted 26 shots at the rim for the entire year. And even in the playoffs, the rim pressure still was not really there. I don't know. They have a severe depth issue. There are times where I've seen Monty Williams run a lineup where there's Devin Book on the floor with no KD, no Chris Paul, um, no Aiden and a bunch of just role player guys. Try doing that against Denver. You will get smoked for it. So it's really a pick em series. Um, if you say the Suns, you say it based on the star power and what they're going to be able to do, which is fine. It's fair. I think that's okay. But I just think Denver's a much better team. So for me, I have Denver. I have that in six games. I really, really want to say five. I really want to say five. But I do think Denver's going to have two games where... Their defense is just not cutting it. Role players are not hitting shots. And they give up two games. So I'm going Denver in six. But I do think Denver is the better team. So all in all, uh, that's me recapping all the playoff games that I missed. I don't even know how long this podcast is. 57 minutes. So we're almost here for an entire hour. So with these last three minutes, I want to say I appreciate all the support that I've been getting consistently it means a lot. Um, this is only my third episode. I'm going to be a lot more consistent. I've been doing watch parties on YouTube. Um, the only issue is I got a copyright strike on one of them. So I'm not going to have to start doing that on Twitch. If you're watching this on the YouTube side, follow the Twitch. I'm going to be having a lot more live streams during the playoff games as they happen. But appreciate all of the support from everyone. Uh, game one tonight. For Denver and the Suns, I'm going Denver at home. I think they're going to assert their dominance as a home team and take game one. It would mean a lot if the Suns were able to steal a game uh, in the playoffs. Your goal, if you're a road team, is to come in, steal a game. If you're a home team, is to protect home court. I think Denver is going to stomp on them in game one. I think they win by 10 points. And I think after that, Suns make adjustments and they might steal game two. That's where I'm at with it. But appreciate y'all support. Um, I will be having more consistent uploads on this podcast. Again, it's only episode three. I'll probably be having recaps more consistently in terms of like a two or three day layaway. I'll probably have a quick upload on the Warriors game seven because that's a tremendous game that we have to win. But I appreciate all y'all support. Like, comment, download, uh, share, 
Follow me on Twitter. All that stuff, man. Let's grow together. Let's let's build up this platform. I appreciate what y'all do for me. And I don't take anything for granted. I appreciate y'all. Let's get to it, people. If you got goals, you got dreams, let's accomplish those things. Let's handle business, people. But I got things to do. I'm about to go focus and give my full devoted attention to this basketball game that's taking place at 830. I appreciate y'all. I'll catch you guys in the next episode of Get the Hoops. Peace out, people.